0: Good afternoon. This is Erin. Hi, Erin. I hate to bother you, but I need to run a situation by you. Anytime. What's up? Well, we had a manifestation recently where the team determined that the behavior, a physical assault of staff, was not a manifestation of the student's disability. So now the kid is expelled and out of school. Oosh. Yeah. The parents now, of course, are calling irate that their student is expelled and not getting services. Before I call them back, could you walk me through my options? Absolutely. Welcome to On the Call, Ennis Britton's special education team podcast. I am Erin Wessendorf-Fortman.
1: And I am Jeremy Neff.
0: And we are ready to dig into this call. So I think it's not surprising necessarily if we look at that phone call to say, why is a parent upset, right? We've done our MDR process. The behavior was not a manifestation of a student's disability. So a student is rightfully disciplined. They're treated like any other typical kid. But I think where the miss is on this, right, is the fact that just because they're treated like a typical kid doesn't mean that they don't also now receive services on the other side while they're being treated like a typical kid.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And this goes to the fundamental nature of IDEA. Idea is, you know, we sometimes describe it as it's not an anti-discrimination law. That's 504. Idea is more, uh, it has affirmative requirements. We're building up. We're setting goals and working towards them. And that doesn't turn off just because a kid engaged in stupid conduct. (laughs)
0: Oh, Wouldn't that be nice? I'm totally joking about that. But I I do think it's at least a good reminder. So if we, as we've done in all of these podcasts, we sort of focus first thing as we do on the phone calls when they come in is what does the law require first? And then knowing that every situation, the law doesn't always fit neatly into it or the situations neatly into the law. But at least in terms of the black letter law for this, and everyone knows, we have the ability to do our fate free zone, right? Mm-hmm. Our first 10 days, not of each individual student disciplinary incident, but you get 10 days each school year for a kiddo that are FAPE-free. So you can discipline them for up to 10 days whether it's over an entire school year, three days here, two days here, one day there, you get FAPE-free. But once you reach day 11, you need to be providing services for that student when they're out based on student disciplinary conduct.
1: Yeah, and, and there's much like so many things with IDEA, there's a process that we go through to determine what those services would look like. So again, we're, we're working with the child where it's not a manifestation. We're getting past the 10 days What happens on day 11? Well, it's called an interim alternative educational setting. Uh, Throughout this podcast, we may revert to IAES. And uh, what it is is a set of services that are going to allow two things. It allows the child to participate, and that's the magic word, participate in the general education curriculum. And the second thing is it allows the child to progress. Again, there's a magic word there, progress on IEP goals. So it needs to accomplish those two things, but it need not be what's in the IEP. And, in fact, very, very, very rarely would it be what's precisely in the IEP for that child.
0: So wait a minute. General education curriculum. What? Right. I
1: don't,
0: <laughs> I don't, a lot of times we get, so we, I did what was in the IEP. I provided mm. the OT, the PT, the SLP. I had the reading instruction. You mean to tell me that I also have to do more or less like a home instruction that may or may not be provided in the home, um, for general education, too?
1: Right, yeah. It, it, it sometimes gets overlooked because, you know, we think of ideas being so focused on what's in that document, and that document does not describe how we're going to handle everything with gen ed, but it is absolutely a part of this I-A-E-S.
0: So as a part of the I-A-E-S, can we then say, and I know I feel like I'm asking you more questions with this podcast anyway, um, and so I apologize, but we often get the phone calls and so okay, I'll do what's required in statute, right, for when kids are absent five hours a week. Jeanette, done, right? I mean, that that I'm clear.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a little quirk in Ohio law there, right? And this, this is a quirk that's gotten even quirkier now that we've moved from measuring school years by days to measuring them by hours, but- an uh, an old law, kind of a, a, a relic of the past, said that we could count a child as being in attendance and therefore get the funding for the child if they received one hour of home instruction for every school day. So that, that really doesn't have any bearing on these decisions about IAES, even though it clearly, in the real world, does.
0: Well, and I think it could also serve as your base, mm-hmm. right? And so when looking at that from a base, I think where – Um, sometimes we maybe miss the target or haven't focused in on what does the black black letter law actually say, right? So there's a case that came out of South Dakota, and it was recently where um, a student was removed for discipline and out 10 days with a rec for expulsion, expulsion upheld. They held an MDR, found that the conduct in question was not, you know, substantially related and directly related to the student's disability, so out the student goes – and student is served while out. So problem being, while all of a sudden our parents fighting, except for maybe they're upset that the student is also out, the problem was um, based on, and this was a state complaint. So it did not go to an IHO, did not go to due process. State complaint said, essentially, we are mad. We wanted more services. And the State Department of Education said at this point in time, well, you're Right you needed to have an IEP team discussion to talk about what those services were going to be while the student was out under discipline. And so the in this case, the assistant principal had unilaterally decided... Uh, at least based on the facts, as you know, we have available to us, he had unilaterally decided what services a student would receive. And so that State Department of Ed, not Ohio, mind you, but it was Missouri, this State Department of Ed said, hey, the IEP team needed to have a meeting, could have been at the end of the MDR meeting, to talk about what services would be appropriate during that suspension. So talking about what would have allowed the child to continue to participate in gen ed and to progress towards meeting the goals outlined in their IEP.
1: Yeah, and if the facts of this sound familiar, uh, it's because we encounter this all the time. But we promise, uh, no no clients were harmed in the recording of this podcast. <laughs> this is from a different state, but it's a common story. Uh, And sometimes it's not the principal. It might be the superintendent at the end of the expulsion hearing saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do for your kid. And it feels good, right? I mean, it sounds like you're helping the family and you are. It's just not following the process that needs to happen. And that's going to run us into trouble. Before we dive into some practical tips and further discussion about this case, I want to step back to black letter law. So this is the common scenario where there are fights, right? It has to do with a child where it was not a manifestation and that realization for the parent, wow, this child's out for 80 days or whatever it may be. But there's also the scenario and there's black letter law for, well, what do we do if it is a manifestation Mm -hmm. because it's not as simple as you think, well, you put the kid back in school. Well that that's not the end of the requirements. So if we've gone through the manifestation process and concluded that it is a manifestation of the child's disability, yes, we put the child back in their uh last agreed upon setting, what's in the IEP. But we also then need to look at conducting a functional behavior assessment and developing a BIP, a behavior intervention plan, or if we've done those things already, revisiting them because We don't want behavior that is a manifestation of the child's disability interfering with their access to education. I feel like that's more straightforward, so I don't really want to dwell on it too much. But I I did want to highlight that there are requirements that other direction as well.
0: I feel like it is, but I also feel like there are definite misses that we can have as schools when we have said it is a manifestation of your disability, right? And then we go, okay, now you're back in school. We either conduct an FBA or a BIP, or we review and revisit, But then when we review and we revisit, we're like, we don't need to make any changes. Well, that doesn't work. Or if we did make changes, documenting what those changes are, right, making sure that that prior written notice, and and I feel like in every one of these episodes, we have to go ahead and say prior written notice a thousand times, (laughs) but to me, they're the key to everything because if we didn't document it in a prior written notice, it didn't happen. And we're seeing very clearly from the Ohio Department of Education and the U.S. Department of Education, that's where they look first. Mm -hmm. And so to me... Those are sort of my, uh, my key to everything. Well,
1: as, as a mug I saw on a client's desk once said, uh, "Keep calm and send a prior written notice."
0: <laughs> I mean, I, yes, but make sure it's a good one. Oh yeah. I mean, maybe that's a whole other podcast episode to say how do we do prior written notices that are that are good. But I do think having that conversation because if we don't amend the behavior plan, let's say there is one and it is a manifestation, we don't amend it. And we're right back to the table again. Then we look like we're disciplining a student based on their disability, and we, we can't keep doing that.
1: And, and the child's not receiving FAPE. I mean, we have to keep that in mind. The reason this requirement's there for the kids where it's a manifestation, it's not as simple as just throw them back in, is because if if I'm tearing the classroom apart, I'm not learning. Like those those two things are not ha- well. I may be learning something, but not what I should be. So uh, you know, keep in mind this this goes fundamentally to FAPE. So you're right. It, it's it's worth emphasizing.
0: I, I do really think it's it's important in that. But in terms of then – so I guess the, the grand summary of this, if we talk broad-level practical points, right, it's really – so we've done the MDR, now what, right? I, I mean, we've gone through, have the FBA done, have the BIP, return the kid to the placement. That may mean a broader-level discussion with – staff who might not be so happy after a kid has destroyed the classroom for the 10th time i mean just being honest that the kid is coming back but talking to staff talking to teachers educational aides about what new services and supports that may mean for a kiddo there may be opportunities as well yes return the child to the classroom but hey parents is there an option to have a discussion about it it may take us a few days to get this in place for your child. What can we do in the interim, right, just to be able to problem-solve our way through this? It's not to deny faith to a child. It's to say we want to make sure we can fully appropriately support them. How do we wrap our hand, our hands around them in an appropriate manner um, in that fashion? As you roll your eyes at me, it's totally fine. Um, but I also think, you know, making sure in those aspects – everyone in that team understands what the requirements then are of that IEP and that behavior plan, right? Coming, If the kid is being returned, they need to follow that. They can't just say, whoop, I'm done now, because we're going to be right back in the same boat.
1: Yeah. And the vast majority of educators, they're right there. And I'll pick on, as a former high school teacher, I'll pick on like the high school folks. Maybe they're done with a kid. And frankly, the behavior can be more dangerous or disruptive at that age. So uh, if that's where we're at, All the more reason we need our staff to be implementing with absolute fidelity because in addition to what you just described, trying to make sure the kid's back in, successfully transitioning, we may be looking toward a change of placement. That's what we want, and the family's not there yet. Well, the way we get there is we shorten the playing field. And the manifestation process, the FBA and the BIP after that, when we've concluded it is a manifestation, those are ways for us to kind of shorten the playing field and make that transition from the regular high school setting to some sort of outplacement potentially seem less jarring because we can show we've worked our way there. And while it's highly unusual, if we get to the point where we say we need to file due process to force a change of placement – we're going to be in a much more defensible position we we can show that evolution over time.
0: No, I think that's a great it's a great point in showing that process for how we get there, right? And that we've done everything in our in our capacity within our power within this placement with what can we can serve here to be able to serve that student and so then on the flip side of that you know so we did the MDR now what the flip side is what we talked about sort of to open the podcast with the phone call with you we are providing services so in the event it on the flip side it's not a manifestation and so we are able to discipline a kid just like any other typical child we are helping the kid make progress in the general education curriculum and or at least have access to the general ed- education curriculum make progress towards their IEP goals and I do want to at least highlight that I, I do think this is going to be an interesting focus because OSEP came out this past July of 22 with new you know, Q&A. I love them. They're very long. Um, but they even highlighted that this is an IEP team decision on what that individualized determination is for services. So it's not, we do this for all kids. Here's your five hours. Here's what's in your IEP. That might not necessarily be appropriate. And necessarily, you might also not be providing what's in the IEP because Section 7 might have small group services, You know, all of those things. And you need to at least be documenting in a prior written how you're going to be doing that differently.
1: So from a practical perspective, then, that decision, Uh, thoughts on when it makes sense to have that discussion as a team?
0: Well, I think it depends on how the outline happens with your MDR meeting, right? If you're holding the MDR on day 10 (laughs) and you've said, hey, by the way, it's not you. The team has determined it is not a manifestation of the student's disability. Let's assume parents disagree because let's just make that assumption. You need to be providing services day 11. Now, if you cannot or do not because – You want to have that meeting on the tail end of that MDR, parents don't agree, parents leave in a huff, whatever it is, you can move it out. But as a district, you're going to be needing to provide compensatory education for the time period missed, assuming we're at day 11 now. We've determined it's not a manifestation. We need to be giving services, and we didn't. And so what that combat will look like.
1: Yeah, when we've got the team assembled at that MDR, that's a great time. Right. To do it if we can. But you're right. It can be tense at the end of those meetings. And there's nothing wrong with if you go through the discussion as a team, even if the family is walked out, stormed out in a huff, have the discussion, document it and offer in that same PRO one. Hey, we'd like to reconvene with your participation or frankly, if you've developed an IAES and it just doesn't seem to be working well it makes sense to reconvene, offer to reopen that uh, decision for further discussion.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, it's a really good point on that. Even offering can help us, the parent participation piece of it, I think is important in having that discussion and offering to constantly come back to that table with the parents is an important piece. But I do think as with all of these, you know, discussions on MDRs, there are a thousand rabbit holes that we could go down through this and trying to stay for purposes of this discussion, broad level and to get everybody thinking about how we best serve students and how to make sure we're compliant with the law, I think is the focus of where we go.
1: Yeah. So uh, other thoughts on practical tips as we wind this down? I mean, we always mention training. <laughs> so, <I laughs> Training guess and prior written notices. Training and prior written notices. So that, those, those are my final thoughts as we wrap this up.
0: No, I, I don't think I have anything else.
1: That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney.
0: Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritton.com or wherever you find your podcasts.
1: If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to share, please email us at podcast at whether by phone or this podcast. We look forward to being on the call with you again soon.